everyone, it's Leanne from the Alberta Motorcycle Safety Society and welcome to Think Bike, a podcast about all things motorcycle and the voice of motorcycle safety and awareness in Alberta. We like to talk about everything motorcycle related and bring you great guests to share their stories with you. Thanks for tuning in today. On the podcast today, we're going to be discussing hard lessons learned. We, some of us have experienced them, some of us may not have, we may in the future, who knows. At the end of the day, it's something to learn from, and we have brought in John Bully and Brian Wardstall. They were with us last year to talk about EMRA stuff, so this year we're going to talk about some hard lessons that they learned with us. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for us. <laughs> yeah. I, I love having you guys on here because um, uh, you're the, in my opinion, the kings of the crash bang boom, which you do in a safe space at this point in time. But Brian, I'm going to start with you. What what got you into riding in general before you got into racing? What got you onto a motorcycle? Ooh, well, when I was a kid, uh, I always loved watching Formula One and racing cars and stuff like that. I thought it was really cool. I thought bikes were cool too, but when I was 19 years old, I I wanted to buy a fast car. I wanted to have a really fast car that I could you know, be a hooligan with, and uh, I just didn't quite have the money for a Corvette as a 19-year-old, but for about $3,000, I was able to buy a sport bike that could drag race and beat a Corvette in a, in a straight line. So, um, I kind of got into motorcycles just for the thrill of speed. Well, I mean that, I think, how old were you again? I'm 19. 19. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what happens when you're a 19 year old boy, I guess. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> and we'll get into a little bit of the repercussions of that in a minute. John, what, what's your story that got you into motorcycles? Yeah, similar to Brian, you know, I was really into cars. I've got a, you know, family background in all sorts of cars, drag racing, dirt track sort of stuff, hot rods. And uh, growing up, I, I thought bikes were cool. So I was a little bit of the black sheep of the family. Like, who's who's raised this kid? He likes motorcycles. Like, I don't know, you're going to have to move out if you want a motorcycle. Uh, so pretty much I turned 18 and, uh, moved out. And then my first big purchase was a motorcycle for myself before a car even. So wasn't the smartest person back then, especially living in Edmonton. It got uh, pretty chilly in fall and I realized pretty quick, maybe the motorcycle wasn't the wisest purchase, uh, that I made and it was time to start looking for a car too. Are you one of those, um, enigma people that got a class six before a class five or did you get your class five first no yeah i had a class five first because i guess i needed it for work too so they uh i had to do that first and then i uh, got the bike license say so, you know i actually i took some some good advice the first piece of advice i got about riding motorcycles is uh, you should take a, a course on how to ride a motorcycle and i actually took my course through uh, alberta safety council Excellent. Now, Brian, did you take a motorcycle course or just hop on the bike and go? I did actually. I took my course through Nate and I don't even think they offer it anymore, but at the time they, they offered a course and I wanted to do it because I'd heard that it helped with your insurance rates and it was good to learn how to ride a motorcycle. And it actually was a really valuable tool and I'm, I'm grateful for taking that. So, and then I just went to the moon right away. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I'm actually really quite impressed that at 18 and 19 that you both had um, the forethought of taking a motorcycle course, because as you've probably seen a lot on the socials, um, a lot of people just think that they can just get on a bike and, and go and they don't understand those courses do teach some things. However, some things you have to learn on your own. And I know you both are heavy into the track now. I'm not sure. I can't remember if you still do some street riding or not. But uh, Brian, what is your one hardest lesson that you learned at a young age on a little bit of a rocket of a motorcycle? So I've got, uh, I mean, I've, I've got a, a track related example and I've got a street related example. So when I first started riding on the street, um, I was having a blast. I, I, I think the first year I rode a motorcycle just in the city of Edmonton without even doing like out of town trips, I put 12,000 kilometers on it in about three and a half months. Like every day I would get off work and I would just go riding all around the city for five hours. And, uh, and it was great. Um, the, the big lesson that I learned on the street that, that I paid a bit of a price for, um, was I, I made an assumption. That's what it boils down to. I made an assumption that when the light went yellow, I could just go straight through the yellow light and whoever was waiting to turn left was, uh, going to just wait and make sure the coast was clear. So that was kind of my, my big mistake. My big lesson I learned was that you can't assume that people are going to properly clear an intersection before proceeding across. So I had a, I was going down Jasper Avenue and coming up to 109th street and the, uh, the light turned yellow and I was close enough and going fast enough. I just, truthfully i gunned it <laughs> to just go through the yellow light and a dodge ram 1500 turned left in front of me and didn't i didn't even see him so i made a couple mistakes there you know i was in the left hand side of the of the lane and i was closest to oncoming traffic um so any cars that were in the turning lane from my direction were kind of blocking his view so he couldn't really see me. I wasn't in a good spot and I just gunned it on a yellow light and yeah, truck turned left in front of me. I panicked, hammered the front brakes, locked the front and wiped out in the process, hit the truck, rode off the bike, rode off the truck, uh, luckily escaped just barely without getting run over. Um, I hit the rear bumper of the truck with my elbow and I had a big green circle shaped bruise for like three weeks that wouldn't go away. So I was very, very lucky. Um, you know, I was also wearing a pleather jacket, uh, not like a real good quality leather jacket. I was wearing a cheap pleather jacket and that thing disappeared in 50 feet. <laughs> so yeah, that was, that was a big lesson I learned is, you know, you have to ride thinking about other people way more than when you're in a car, just because the risks are so much higher. What are some of the things, Brian, that you would have done different if you were in that same scenario today? I probably would have been going the speed limit. <laughs> I would have been in the right-hand side of that lane so that I'm just a little bit more easily visible for that oncoming truck um, earlier on. And 
Um, knowing what I know now and how to properly brake a motorcycle and the technique, I don't, I wouldn't have panicked and hammered the front brakes and locked the front. I believe I would have been able to get on the brakes properly, slow down and sort of like dodge the, the, the impact. Um, if I was to repeat that incident again. Would a proper jacket made a difference in oh, yeah. any <laughs> type of injury? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was wearing jeans, so I'm, you know, I lost half my kneecap um, and I got scars all over me. But uh, I was very, very lucky. So, yeah, I mean, proper gear is extremely important. Um, if I was wearing a leather suit, I would have been totally fine. And I know in the summertime, especially when it's hot, it's hard to convince people to wear all the gear all the time that old phrase but i mean i crashed a couple weeks ago in california in practice uh at about 160 kilometers per hour 150 and i slid for what i measured out to be close to 300 feet and i didn't have a mark on me so proper gear really does pay dividends you also didn't have all the furniture that you could run into on the street when you're on the track yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm happy I didn't hit anything. I, all I did was slide and basically got up. I wasn't even sore. I didn't have a scratch on me. And I keep kept racing on the following day. So we could just call you Mark Marquez 2.0? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> all right, then. I will avoid that whole conversation. Um, John, let's switch to you. What is, uh, what is a good hard lesson that you've learned? Uh, I mean, one of the first ones I learned and it, it probably only took me three weeks into, into my riding to, to learn it is that no one else on the road is looking out for you. They don't, they don't care. I mean, I thought I was pretty cool and everyone would be looking at me because I was so cool. Um, but that, that wasn't the case. You know, I was just riding down white Ave with, uh, following a friend of mine, um, the the car in the lane beside us obviously thought there was only one motorcycle my friend went past and then he changed lanes behind him and there i was so it took me three weeks i already got hit by a car um that was just on white ave and uh no one stopped the car that hit me stopped the driver got out saw me get up then got back in his car and drove away <laughs> So, uh, you know, I lost a bit of faith in humanity that day. Um, you know, luckily my friend turned around a block later looking for me only to see, you know, a little bit of, a little bit of what had gone, had just gone on. And, uh, you know, he helped me pick up my bike and basically get it home because it was, it had got enough damage that it wasn't rideable. So, uh, yeah, it was just like totally caught by surprise that other drivers, you know, weren't looking out for me, you know, not that I would say that accident was my fault, but you know, I made this big, huge assumption like, man, yeah, everyone can see me. Everyone's looking for me. Look at how cool all my stuff is. Like, this is the best thing ever. This bikes are so cool. Everyone's got to be looking for them. And that is just not the case. What would you have done different? Do you think? Uh, you know, now I, I obviously would have given that driver a lot more space. I was right beside that car. So, you know, you can move over to the other rut in the road when you're coming up on a car and then, you know, you're going to be scanning farther ahead up the road to see, you know, if you can see them in your mirrors, you know, that, that whole concept of looking in another vehicle's mirrors to see if they can see you, you know, that never crossed my mind at all. 
you know, and, and now having ridden on the street for, you know, a bunch of years and managed to avoid a whole bunch of incidents just with that kind of simple awareness. We had a, a podcast last year with Chris from TNT and we were talking about lane positioning just because you guys have both brought this up, lane positioning. And the one thing that um, I was that old when I realized this trick. So, you know, the you guys all know the little lights that come on in the side view mirrors. Yeah. And that says something's in your blind spot. And it never occurred to me to think, oh, crap, I'm in this person's blind spot. Maybe I should get out of there. What do you guys think of like little tips like that, Brian? Do you have any other things that may be able to help with positioning or just riding in general? Yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, I think of that as well. The The blind spot, that was something that... Um, a friend of mine told me when I first started riding, oh, don't, it might have been John even, <laughs> you know, like in my early days of riding, I remember somebody telling me specifically, uh, don't sit in someone's blind spot because on a motorcycle, it's really, really easy for you as a, just an overall smaller package to be sort of hidden in that blind spot for someone. And if they're not paying attention very well and they just swerve over, I mean, it doesn't take much to to knock a person on a motorcycle to the ground and like it can be it can, at 60 kilometers per hour it can be a minor fender bender but it can be fatal just if you fall the wrong way right so yeah like high risk um and it's you want to be seen so if i'm if i'm coming up on traffic i i try not to spend much time in somebody's blind spot i try to get out of it very quickly and ideally i would like to be a ahead of them and so they're, it's it's pretty obvious for them to see me so John, do you have anything you want to add to kind of tips in what you guys have learned or things that you have grown over the years, like on the street mostly? Uh, yeah, I guess, the, you know, you know, we talked about getting uh, lessons um, and uh, taking taking advice. Um, you know, you should pay attention to good advice and then you should definitely be careful with the free advice that you get sometimes. Cause I know, I think probably one of my second big lessons, uh, I got this tip on how to do wheelies, uh, in the Tim Hortons parking lot. And, uh, it was, it was not good advice. You know, it was my first experience with whiskey throttle, uh, immediately after attempting <laughs> the advice I just received on, uh, on wheelies. And, uh, yeah, it was kind of amazing. Uh, <laughs> what what good advice and bad advice can uh, can do to you as a writer so i would just like to point out that of course everybody gets to just see or hear the audio of these podcasts and as john's explaining his advice for the wheelies i got brian on the other side going it was me well actually so i mean i wasn't giving the advice if anyone can give wheelie advice with john out of the two of us but i i had a very similar experience too i was going down white avenue and i i rode up beside a guy on a on an r6 and and at the time I thought only the big 1000 CC motorcycles could do wheelies. And I saw this guy do a wheelie and I pulled up to him at a light and I'm like, man, I'm like, how'd you do that? He's like, ah, piece of cake. And I'm like, well, you're on a 600. He's like, yeah. He's like, follow me. I'll show you. So he takes me to some like back area industrial complex where there's no cops or anything like that. And there's no traffic. And he's like, this is a place to try it. I'm like, okay, save space. And uh, I'm like, how do you do it? And he's like, you just rev it up. You ride up to about, 
you know, eight grand where you're in the power bend. And he said, you just chop the throttle and then hammer it and pull back. And so I tried that and it didn't come up on me. And and then I pull up to him and I'm like, yeah, it doesn't work. I don't think my bike has the power, <laughs> you know, it's like, no, it definitely does. And so he was like, no, no, you got to try it again. You got, you got to go higher up in the revs and okay. And so I go to do it another time and I'm in front of him at the time and I like chopped the throttle and cracked it. And it probably came up like an inch. And then as it came down, it, I, I chopped the throttle and cracked it again. So I kind of got a bounce out of the front suspension. And it came up about, I don't know, maybe a foot, if that. And I'm like, okay. So the third time around, I cracked the throttle and it comes screaming up on me. Um, almost did a backflip out from underneath me because I'm at this point, I'm like 12,000 RPM. Like I'm, I'm right at peak power bend. The bike comes up extremely fast. Um, both my feet fall off the foot pegs. <laughs> And I remember my feet touching the pavement, like bouncing off the pavement. And uh, I still have my arms up in the air, holding onto the the the, ham- the handlebars. And right before the bike's exhaust touched, I'm probably 12 o'clock, like straight up and down. I chop the throttle and the bike slams down on the front wheel. It throws me over the bars. I headbutt the windscreen, break the windscreen. I'm, at one point, I've got the handlebars are, are around my hips. And I'm leaning over top of the front of the bike. I'm looking at my front tire and my wheels bouncing back and forth, doing a speed wobble because I came down crooked and it was just chaos. <laughs> and I worked my way back onto the bike and straightened it out. And right before I went into the ditch and I, I came to a stop and that guy pulls up to me and he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm like, exactly what you told me to do. You know, and he's like, uh. and then we both had it. We, we both have a good laugh about it now whenever I run into him. Well, I mean, obviously, we're not really encouraging everybody to go out and do wheelies or not even on Wheelie Wednesday. Um, Yeah, I'm going to go with the even when you're young and you think it's going to be fun, uh, bad advice is bad advice. And there's a time and a place. Uh, So now in today's world, like how have you guys changed? John, we'll start with you. How have you changed since? you know, those wild and crazy days when you're young and maybe not so smart? Uh, I mean, probably the biggest thing is I, I go and I try to surround myself with the best riders that I can. You know, I'm always looking for better riders, looking for the guy that knows more than me, you know, on the racetrack that, that typically translates to the guy that's going faster than you. You know, you, you want to find those guys and just surround yourself, uh, with, with other good riders, you know, and, um, I think that's probably one of the biggest things. And then going out and like seeking, you know, good riding instruction, you know, like the right time and place, uh, like you had said, um, you know, even on, even on the racetrack, there's a time and place for, for getting instruction. Um, so, you know, that's, that's probably the, probably the biggest thing that I do now is just, like I said, trying to surround myself with better, better riders. What do you get out of that? Um, you know, you, you see what, what they're doing, I guess you could say would be the, the, the best thing. And then, you know, usually if, if you, you know, typically at the racetrack, if you start hanging out with the faster guys and they see, see you hanging out with them, you know, the next session, they, they come over and they chit chat with you and, 
you know, we can talk about things like setup and different strategies and, you know, things they look out for at the track and that sort of stuff. So, you know, I think luckily the racetrack environment is pretty helpful in, uh, in that sense, you know, on the street, it's definitely, <laughs> there's a lot of bad advice out there. Um, you know, and it's, it's kind of hard to, to find the good advice. And I mean, Facebook and all these public forums, those aren't, uh, the best places for, uh, for constructive, uh, good advice. So it's, it's, it's tough to stay away from that stuff these days because there's so much of it out there, but yeah, just trying to find the better riders. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Having mentors of all different walks is always good. And then it gives you the ability to pass that on. Brian, what about you? What has changed with you since your wild wheelie crazy days thinking speed limits are for losers and stuff like that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, to echo John's stuff, it's like, if you're hanging out with the wrong people, you know, there are, there are people out there that are going out to up the ante all the time and encourage street racing and encourage, you know, being a hooligan, doing the wheelies on white mud and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, like, don't get me wrong. Like I've made my mistakes in the past, but uh, that's what I've learned from it. Right. Is like, you want to make sure that you're hanging out with the right people because it's all fun and games until, you know, something happens and, uh, it can be very, very bad and it can, it can change the course of your life very quickly. Right. So, um, yeah, like I, I definitely would say that, you know, hanging out with the right people is very, very important and just recognizing that maybe, some of these people are encouraging the wrong way to enjoy a motorcycle. Um, and if you want to enjoy a motorcycle like that, the important thing is time and, or sorry, is, uh, is setting like time and place kind of thing, right? Like there's a right time and a right place for that. And I mean, I'm wearing a shirt from our company that says just track it. I'm a firm believer in that. Um, you know, if you got a bike and you boot around town, you get to work every day on it. Like that's awesome. But if you want to go and try and drag your knee on Grove road and, and, you know, hit speeds of 200 kilometers per hour in the city, like it's just, that's, that's the wrong mentality. And, and, uh, you know, you are playing Russian roulette and if you take it to the track, at least you're surrounded by the best people that you can learn a lot of lessons from, uh, you can learn good technique. We have instructors out there that, teach the best kind of riding skills, body position, lines, throttle application, braking application, you name it. So that's definitely the best place to hone your skills properly. And you're in a safe environment, no curbs, no, there's no uh, potholes. There's no bad drivers that you have to worry about running into you or, or burning through a yellow light Um, and no tickets from the cops. (laughs) Yeah, there is that too. Now, our track options are growing. We we got RMM opening up or has opened up down in the Calgary area. So like there, and there's just not just road racing, there's drag racing, there's motocross, there's flat track. There's so many different options for people to go and get that little hooligan part of them, out of them. Now, I'm going to ask you guys a question, not just because you're very heavily involved in the EMRA also have motorheads, uh, track attacks, which is, um, you know, track day schooling for, uh, for people who want to come out and give it a try. We have had, um, in the Edmonton area specifically, uh, some 
sad moments in street racing where unfortunately some people have lost their lives. Um, going back to what Brian was just saying, John, what are your thoughts on, on that? Um, you know, I think a lot of it is just a product of the, of the times, you know, especially with COVID COVID started, uh, you know, it, it put the kibosh on a lot of, uh, riding schools really. Um, and I know that that's not a, a business that makes a ton of money. And so for those businesses to lose even just a couple months, you know, and it was always sort of the spring season when, you know, we weren't allowed to ride motorcycles thanks to COVID anymore. Um, you know, I think that sort of got the ball rolling on that. And then, you know, you've really seen social media, um, sort of take over with, uh, all the kind of like the flash mob kind of mentality and you know you've seen it in not just the motorcycle scene but even just the, the car scenes all the uh illegal uh street racing that's gone on you know it's not to say that that didn't happen in the past but now you see it a lot more and there's even more you know kids you know chasing that 30 seconds of fame going after that clout doing things even crazier because someone's recording recording it on video now you know you see that a lot and uh, it's kind of a product of the times and uh, you know I think the rest of the industry sort of has to keep catch up in a sense I think the government could play like a, a pretty big role in that too with um, you know changing how they're doing their licensing uh, with motorcycles and, uh, I mean, even, even the car licensing, uh, you know, that, I think that could be improved as well. Um, you know, that's a whole nother, <laughs> there's a lot involved in that, but, uh, you know, it makes me thankful anyways, that we have, uh, you know, good groups like AMSS and advocating for, uh, for riders and helping build awareness of, uh, you know, basically problems that have popped up, uh, and, uh, they're definitely, uh, not doing the motorcycle community any good. So it's uh, yeah. it's great to have AMSS around. Well, thank you. Uh, Brian, last question I'm going to give to you is uh, the other thing that we've seen aside from street racing is uh, you both have alluded to, you know, when you were young and got your motorcycles and it's like the coolest thing and people have watched them and like, look how great I am. Uh, outside of that, then you have these situations where young men like you might be picking up a girl and taking her for a ride. And what's your advice to those uh, men out there of all ages? Cause I can't just say it's the young guys who just, throw someone on the back of their bike and go like responsibility as a rider would be what? Yeah. I mean, you are putting someone else's life in the palm of your hands and not just their life, but the lives of their friends and their families that could be impacted by your poor decisions. Um, and you need to think, you need to think responsibly. You need to think ahead of yourself. You need to think of, you know, think of yourself like what would the 40 year old version of me do right hopefully that person hey hey wait, wait 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 what would the 40 year old version of me do? <laughs> well when you're 20 you, you're like oh, i'll never turn 40 that's miles away <laughs> you know i just i because you know 
I wasn't the safest rider when I was young and I wasn't necessarily trying to show off. Um, I just really loved the performance of these motorcycles and how fast you could go and how great it felt to corner and lean over really far. And, but I mean, you're, you're taking a risk and, and again, like it always feels like you're invincible until you're not right. And, you know, one of the things that I've learned is um, if you take a passenger on your motorcycle and you want to try and scare them you've probably ruined motorcycles for them for the rest of their life and then you've got someone who just is not really going to find them cool not really going to be interested in them not going to be an advocate or a supporter and also might not be thinking about them on the road when they're driving their car right and they have to turn left and on a yellow light so yeah i like this you know it all sounds like fun and games until it's not and uh you know don't ruin motorcycles for the rest of them for the rest of us. Yeah, that's actually a really good point because then they could become a look at that jerk and, you know, and then you have that negative attitude. I know uh, I'll, I'll quickly end with a, with a personal story on that note. I've been riding for quite a while and I was uh, seeing this, this guy and we were going to one of the bike nights one night, but I had to drop my bike off at the shop for servicing and it had to stay overnight. And so I hopped on with him. I mean, he'd been riding a while. I've been riding a while. He's on a sport bike and he wheelied with me on the bike. And I have never in my life yelled at somebody so loud in my life because I have no control. It's why the passenger pegs come off my bikes when I buy them, because I am not putting somebody on my bike. It's easier for me to get away with it as a woman than it is for you guys as, as men. But, uh, yeah, it's not cool, guys. It's just not cool. And then I'm in actual proper gear. And then I see these guys riding around with their girls uh-huh. in next to nothing, you know, and it's just it's not cool because anything could happen. But um, you know what, guys, I uh, look forward to continuing to chat with you guys on and off podcasting. I, I always love being around you guys and we have such great conversations and we have such a great partnership going between all the different things that we do. Um, thank you both very much for sharing your young, stupid stories and how you've grown into responsible, <laughs> some responsible men. That is the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, we, we got a, we got a bunch of stories we could tell. There's, there's more. Yeah. There's plenty more if you want. Well, that. We, we may have to do another uh, episode of hard lessons learned with John and Brian, because uh, it's not to be proud of the amount of stories that you guys have, but it's definitely you're alive and well and thriving in our community. And trying to bring that message forward to maybe stop other people from doing dumb things. Yeah. And I mean, for me personally, like I know I have gotten to where I am because I've learned from other people. I've learned from other people's mistakes and from my mistakes. And one of the things I love about being in the racing scene and the community and, and being, I guess, one of looked at as like one of the leaders in that scene is like people come to me and I'm able to give them some advice for things that, you know, I had to pay the price and I had to cartwheel a motorcycle through a, gra- a, gra- a gravel trap and, 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 and spend the whole night fixing a motorcycle until 2 a.m. to get it ready for the next day because I made a mistake, right? That it was really simple and avoidable. And, and I've got a dozen of those stories. So, yeah, yeah, it's important to learn from from others. 
Well, we will definitely uh, get together again in the future. And because I know you guys are always willing to jump in and tell stories. So I very much appreciate you both. Thank you again for coming by. And I will see you out at the track for sure. For sure. Thanks for having us. Great folks, mailbag time. This this week's uh, mailbag question from Chris in Vegerville. What was your first bike? Well, I went to the board for this and I got a couple of responses back from them as well. So for me personally, my first bike was my 07 carved Triumph Speedmaster, which was in phantom black when I bought it. And then I painted it silver with some stripes on it. Um, actually, I didn't. My good friend Mike painted it for me. Always good to have friends that can do stuff. And then Adam Calver, who's one of our directors in Calgary, he had his first bike was a 2009 Yamaha FZ6R in yellow. That would be seen from a mile away. So good choice for a first bike. And our other director in Calgary, Bruce, uh, his very first bike was a 1966 Sears Allstate compact motor scooter 60cc which I think is awesome. And then he wanted me to let y'all know that he removed the front fender because it wasn't cool then. So front fender off. That is also a question on mailbag on one of the other episodes about front fenders. Anyway, that is our show today. To make sure that you don't miss out on any of our upcoming podcasts or listen to previous ones, please make sure you click on subscribe or follow wherever you get yours. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover or a guest you think would be great on the show or a question for the mailbag, let us know. You can connect with us through all the socials. Email us at info at ab-amss.org or reach out to us through the website at ab-amss.org. Always remember to ride smart, ride safe, and think bike. We will see you out on the road.